You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech fan number 140 with Tim Robertson, David Cohen, talking about the history of video games, the PS4, and a lot more. Check it out. Tech fan number 140, I'm Tim Robertson. This is a week late. His name is David Cohen. And uh, how are you, David? I'm okay. I'm a week late, and I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> the wrong place. I was meant to be in Hong Kong when I was going to do the show. But I'm not. I'm still back home. That's brutal, man. Well, it was weird. I was supposed to go out on Tuesday morning, and um, I got up, got did some work, was kind of getting ready to go, and then I get an um, email from the project manager I was due to see saying, oh, yeah, sorry for the short notice, but we decided it's probably best you don't come out now. Hmm. <laughs> bags packed, getting ready to go to the I, airport. I'm reading this, and I look at my bags packed, and I thought, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. So, so yeah, I had, had to cancel the flight and not go. And it was a double whammy for me because... Of course, Apple announced the uh, availability of the Resonor iPad Minis that day, and uh, I was hoping to get one while I was out there. So you haven't got one yet? No, I haven't. No. I've been reading the reviews. I haven't actually played with one myself. Uh, the reviews are very glowing. Yeah. I, had a, I, I did have a look at, at one the other day, and um, yeah, I mean, it's like, like the old one, which I loved, but just with a much better screen, so... And really, that's... I, I can't imagine a whole lot... I mean, yes, it's got a faster processor in it, too. Um, but I, I really can't imagine that they can do a whole lot with the Mac Mini to make it so much better. Can you? Uh, I don't think so. I think they've kind of evolved as far as they can go with the current iPad line. I would expect the next time we see a refresh, we're going to see something a little bit different. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that myself, what they're going to do there. The other big news, at least this week is the uh, at least the North American launch of the Sony PlayStation 4. Uh -huh. And I actually got a few emails from listeners asking about uh, my thoughts about that. I guess they assumed that I was getting one because, um, you know, I talk about video games quite a bit. Yep. Uh, the video game industry and games in particular. And I am not getting a PS4 right now. It's, uh, Why is that? Just too much? <clears throat> no, it's not so much the cost. It's uh, the games. There's just not any good games for it right now, David. I, I'm I'm looking at all the launch titles, and I'm not seeing anything that's really captured my attention. There was two games that really is system sellers for me with the PS4, um, and neither one of them are, are available right now. Well, one of them is is multi-platform Watchdogs, but I was I'm not I'm not sure if I'm going to get that for the Xbox One, Xbox 360, PS4, PS3, whatever which one I get. But the exclusive title for the PS4 was, uh, oh, geez, what is that? I don't even, Infamous, uh, Son of Infamous or something, I don't know. Um, but it's one of the best games they've ever made for the PS4. It was two of them. Um, and I wanted to get that one, but that's not released until either late this year or early next. So, yeah, there's just, I, it's just a piece of hardware sitting there otherwise, right? Well, if you're not going to play games on it, then, um, <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the thing is, they're very, they're very kind of hardcore gamer games. The the launch titles, you know, Killzone, Call of Duty, you know, that's a driving game. They're they're those big kind of, you know, kind of hell yeah man type of games. They're not really, and um, none of them are exclusive to that system either. Is, is Killzone exclusive well, to Sony? Killzone is, yes, yeah. But that yeah. Killzone's always been one of those that is a moderate seller. It's not a it's not a system seller. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh you know, this is always the problem with these these early launches is you've got to wait for the games to come out. Yeah, it's almost like they need to, to plan it a lot better than they have been. You need at least two killer games at launch to you know make sure that it sells because if you don't it's you kind of fall into that wii u category it's a good hardware platform to a certain extent but if there's no killer games nobody really cares and that was kind of what hampered the wii u they had a couple good games but you know not when you compare it to the competition that was out there at the time was the ps3 and the xbox 360 and uh you know, if you're going to come out with hardware that's equal to those, then you better have some really good software ready to run. And, of course, with Nintendo, the best software comes from Nintendo themselves. So you would think that they would have a lot more tighter control on release dates and, you know, setting expectations. And they don't seem to be able to do that very well. No. And I'm just looking through the list of PlayStation 4 titles here that are upcoming and there's an awful lot here that you can already get on other platforms or, or you will be able to get on other platforms. Yeah. And the, you know, then you're dropping quite, quite a lot of money for slightly better graphics. It's, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be a strong sell to me. No. And so that's why, well, I was actually surprised at how small the PS4 is. I haven't seen one, but I was looking at some pictures and it, it looks very, very small compared to past PS games. Your PS systems. Well, yeah, they, I mean the original one was huge. No, the original uh, one wasn't huge. The the PS3 the, was massive. The, yeah, that's what I mean. The original PS3. You're right. Sorry, that's that, I was talking about the previous generation. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Both the original PS3 and also the original Xbox were quite large, and then they progressively got smaller as time went on, which is kind of uh, the way things go. I, I've not. I've not. I've not really paid a lot of attention to the the physical size of the PS4 because uh, I remember being kind of, you know, um, un- underwhelmed when they did the launch. It's 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 we you know? it's we size. Yeah. <laughs> it's we yeah. size. It's it's, it's we. Yeah. It's it's not a we. It is we. Yes. It's, it's we. <laughs> I, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually launching my Kindle app. Did you? Uh, you know, we're. Roughly the same age, yeah. Oh, virtually exactly the same yeah, age. Yeah. Give or take a couple of months. Yeah, I, I'm the older one, right? A little bit. My birthday, I'm 43. My my birthday's in January. And mine's in April. Yeah, so. yeah. So, yeah. listen to your elder son. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me find this. Uh, I want to get it right. Here it goes. So I bought this uh, book on my Kindle, and it was one of those spur of the moment. Oh, that looks good. I'm going to download and read it. Um, I mean, it, it, the the premise of the book really hooked into me. 
It's about this guy who grows up in the 80s and 90s, obviously. Uh, he's born in the 70s, though. And he... Uh, no, actually, he's born in the late 60s. But uh, he comes... He's born in the 60s, but he grows up in the 80s? Well, well does sure. He, does he, yeah, how does that work, then? Well, I was born in 1970. I just missed the 60s by 18 days. And I did my formative, oh, right. you know... So, anyways, he the, the the premise of the story, and tell me if this is some, something that would be interesting to you, because I'm kind of curious. I mean, you're you're in the UK. Maybe I, I don't know what the arcade was like back in the '80s there. Here in the United States, arcades were huge. Yes. Uh, in two distinct time periods: the early to mid '80s, and then they kind of died out for a while. And then in the very early '90s, with uh, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter Two and those games, it came yeah. back very briefly for maybe another three or four years, and then they were gone for good. Uh-huh. Yeah, what was that kind of what it well, was like it, then? Yeah, I mean, I, I had I had some of the American experience because I was spending you came, a lot yeah, of time right. in the states. Yeah, so I remember the American arcades and and how great they were. In in Britain, they weren't they were big, but they weren't quite they weren't quite as big as um, they were in the states. Um, I think something more to do with the way British kids at the time kind of got around. You know, uh, kids were into arcade games, but they, we didn't have, unless you lived in a seaside town like I did, you didn't really have the big arcades to go to. What you would have is you'd have places where there were machines, but you wouldn't necessarily, unless you lived in the biggest cities, go to what an American would recognize as an arcade that was a dedicated gaming establishment. The video games we had were kind of in in pubs and bars and clubs and, um, you know, places like that where there would be one or two machines rather than, not, you know, necessarily 20 or 30. Unless you... I, I lived in the seaside, and the seaside traditionally did have arcades for a long time, even before video games came along because they had games of chance and that sort of thing. So they had big arcades. Um, but the vibe was very different to the American ones. They they weren't all about just video games. Well, they weren't here either. I mean, that was the draw, obviously. But there was a there was a huge social aspect to it. Um, yeah. You know, we out here in where I live, we had a number of different arcades. The most popular was probably Aladdin's Castle in the Lakeview Square Mall, um, and that was just because it was in the mall. You know, you'd walk yeah. around the mall and hang out in the arcade for a while. But it was kind of a sterile environment, whereas the arcade at a place called Naki's Bowling, which uh, still exists, and I don't know if they have arcades anymore. I, I imagine they probably still have a room that has a few machines in it. But that was uh, that in a place called Pyramid Pizza. It was a pizza joint with a big arcade in the back. Yeah, Those were the two places that I liked because it was very social. You could, you know, you can have a slice of pizza. At the bowling alley, you'd get a couple drunk guys that would come in from bowling and, you know, the the crappy carpet it kind of stunk in there all the time, cigarette burns on the cabinets, you know. But yeah. but it was, it was, you know, you'd line your quarters up because you're next in line or you take on the next guy. And it was about That's the high right. score and how far you can go and your friends would be there. And it was just a good time. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in arcades. I didn't spend a lot of money because even back then I was kind of smart. <laughs> about that it's yeah. I, I kept thinking yeah i could play this game and it's going to last for five minutes for a quarter well that's 20 minutes total of video game playing time and i was more interested to be honest is is, is this hanging out trying to yeah. meet girls hanging out with my friends you know doing things 
just being out and mm-hmm. about. So I have very fond memories of the 80s. I, I didn't return to the arcades in the early 90s when Street Fighter and all those hit it big. They just, it wasn't my thing. But I got it. You know, I, I understood it. It just wasn't, that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was reading, you know, as people are wont to do with Kindles, they kind of go into the Kindle store and start browsing around and what have you. And I don't know how this one came up, but it came up for a recommendation for me. And it's the, it's called The Final Days uh, at Westfield Arcade. And it's a novel by Andy Hunt. It's not a long novel. Uh-huh. And it goes from first person to third person. Um, you start the, the story basically where the arcade is closing forever. People are coming to pick up arcade machines that he sold off. But all the best times in his life up to that point happened in the arcade. And they kind of flash back. And uh, I really enjoyed the book. It was uh, seven bucks or something like that. And I'm not usually one who, that will just drop seven bucks on a an ebook. Usually I'll get the sample first and try that and then make my decision. This one, I don't know why, I just bought it. And uh, I got to say, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it, he's a self-publisher, so there was a lot of mistakes in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, let someone edit for you, please. Um, but I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, I'm I'm going to give it a good recommendation. It, I dug cool. it. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give it a try, and if I ever get to flipping Hong Kong, then I will read it on the way over. <laughs> and honestly, you um, could make it. You could read the whole thing in 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 one go. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. I don't know, four hundred pages, but it's it's a oh, quick two, read. Yeah. It's, less less than that, two hundred seventy seven, according to the uh, yeah yeah, that's about right. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, you know, it's it's not it's not Shakespeare by any chance, but but I enjoyed it. Leave it at that. I enjoyed it. The, uh, I always, um, when I was growing up, I loved reading the stuff about the the early history of the arcades. Yeah, so did I. I, I read, um, what's it called now? There was there was one by, I think the, the author was a guy called David Sheff, and it basically it did cover the, um, maybe it won't be, wasn't David Sheff. I'm trying to drag, drag this out of my memory. But, uh, yeah, it was by David Sheff. It's called Game Over, Nintendo's Battle to Dominate an Industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was basically about the history of Nintendo, and it was an, an amazing read. Yeah. Because it, it was, it re, I mean, it, it was one of the first business books I'd ever read. But, you know, the way, I mean, it was very accessible, and really to understand, you know, what was going on inside Nintendo when they, they kind of stumbled into this video game thing and all of a sudden realized how big it was. And then they happened to hire these guys who created these incredibly iconic characters and these incredibly um, deep, you know, they look, guys like Donkey Kong and everything look very superficial, but in fact they're incredibly deep. Yep. You know, and it's a very Japanese thing, you know, this kind of off-the-wall weird stuff that actually has tremendous thought and depth and, and intellectual effort devoted to it. Uh, it was really, really interesting. It's funny that a lot of people, uh, at least here in the United States, when they think of Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and Space Invaders, uh, I'm not sure about Space Invaders, but Donkey Kong and, and Pac-Man, for instance, were Japanese games. They were, they were developed yeah. there. And they became such iconic figures that I think a lot of Americans just assumed that they were kind of homegrown games, and they absolutely were not. But well, a lot of, yeah, a lot of those games as well were actually rebadged outside yes. the U.S., outside the um, Japan, weren't they? You know, Midway, 
they offered a lot of Japanese games under their brands, didn't they? And and they kind of licensed them and presented them as American games when in fact they weren't. Yep. The, you know, I got to give it up to uh, Nintendo. The way they got the NES to sell in the United States was brilliant. Because you got to remember, there was a huge home video game push from about 78 until it crashed around 83, 84. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty devastating. Atari pretty much took the entire industry down. Yeah. And it was two years later before Nintendo really started hitting it big with the NES. And the inside of an NES is basically the same as an Atari. There's not a whole lot of difference as far as processing power and memory. And yet the great games are so much better. The controller, the little rectangular controller with two buttons and a D-pad, so much better. And more importantly, though, the games were just fantastic. I mean, we never saw side-scrollers like Super Mario World, or just Mario mm-hmm. Brothers, I should say. Was it Super Mario Brothers? Or just, yeah, Super Mario Brothers. And uh, Donkey Kong, so deep. I mean, so... They were. It was a fantastic system, but the way they got it in was they bundled it with that Robbie the Robot thing, remember? That's right, yeah. And <laughs> I, I found it fascinating reading. I read a book called Game Over from, uh, I want to say Paul Kent. No, Stephen Kent. Paul Kent's the guy from Macworld. Stephen Kent wrote it. And it stops right around the uh, PS2 era. But it was fascinating, and it was firsthand accounts of what happened. He goes way back as well, basically starting a little bit before Pong. And, uh, you know, he doesn't concentrate on just Nintendo. You get the Atari story. You get the ColecoVision stuff. You get, I mean, there was a lot of really good content in that book. And he doesn't necessarily focus on the games themselves, but rather the industry and the people behind it. And I found it fascinating how, you remember Teddy Ruxpin, maybe mm-hmm. that was a huge seller in the united states it was the the toy to have and nintendo had the exclusive distribution rights to that and the only way to get it was to also order some of these nes boxes so the first christmas of nes wasn't a big deal for nintendo it didn't sell like gangbusters but they didn't also market it like a video game system because the toy retailers out there the toys r us and the babbages they didn't want to get back into video games because it had died and they got Mm -hmm. stuck with a lot of just junk inventory. So they bundle it with this robot and they called it, you know, an interactive TV robot game. And that's how they, that, that was their in. And, uh, just, they were just brilliant. They really were. It's interesting because the NES was never as big in the UK as it was in the States. Yeah, it was mad. Um, I remember when the, when the NES hit it big here, it just exploded. Yeah. Well, what happened in the UK was after the video game crash and all the consoles disappeared, um, the market was taken over by the home computers, the, the British home computers. Right. So um, the, the spec, there's what the computer's called the Sinclair Spectrum, which is effectively um, are the UK equivalent of the Apple II. Um, it was invented by a, you know, a brilliant, um, eccentric computer guy 
who um, figured out a way, him and his team figured out a way to make this very capable computer that connects to a TV for very, you know, by, uh, by the standards of the time, very little money, even compared to the Apple II. It was much, much cheaper than the Apple II. And, and it meant that pretty much everybody who wanted one could afford to buy one of these. And, and so that became the very, that and the Commodore 64 became the very, very big gaming platform in the UK for a long time. And it was only really when the, um, the Sega Genesis and the Sony PlayStation came along that people started to get back into consoles. And so it, it, we had this kind of dichotomy because in the US, people were very much into Nintendo, whereas in, in the UK, people were very much into these computer systems that, of course, eventually died out, you know. But, spe- but for the UK market, the spectrum was huge. Yeah. And a lot of the video game companies that exist today basically built themselves on the back of revenues for, you know, coding spectrum games, you know, in their bedrooms or in small offices and that sort of thing. And they turn into... You know, a lot of these guys are still around in the in the uh, you know the the upper echelons of the video game industry today. So um, yeah, the it was kind of just really cool. I, I love reading yeah. about it. I mean, I, I didn't the NES didn't bring me back into the fold. It was the Super NES that did that for me. And then shortly, yeah. either right before or right after, Sega launched their Genesis, and uh, I I was more of a Genesis guy. You know, yeah. with with. Uh, I, I don't want to say that though because I really like the Nintendo systems too. I've always been kind of agnostic. You know, you it used to be you're a Sega guy or a Nintendo guy. Then it was, you know, you're a PlayStation guy or you're a Dreamcast guy or you're a yeah. You know, I I, I didn't care who made it to be honest. I liked them all, and I always found it kind of curious of those who kind of picked one and this is the system that I like. Never made sense to me. I mean, I got Nintendo because they made the best games for their own platform. I got that. But there was some really good stuff on the Genesis, too. I mean, when Sonic hit it out of the park, that game was so fast on the Genesis. It made every yeah. other game seem pokey and, and slow, you know? Absolutely. Um, and uh, and again, you know, it was a game that had much more depth than it looked at. You know, yeah. you, could run through, you could run through a level in 30 seconds and you could you know, figure out a route through the level. And if you wanted to, every time you played the game, you could just do that level that same way and you'd be fine. But actually, if you did something different or went a different way, all of a sudden you'd find these whole completely different areas with different things you could do, different approaches. And then every level itself was, you know, had variations in terms of the monsters yeah, the you had. Value the value was environment. massive. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, my um, my first wife... Her father was really into, which was kind of weird. He was like a businessman. You wouldn't have thought of being into video games, but he kind of got hooked on the, uh, it was called the, um, um, it wasn't called the Genesis in the UK, the, the Sega. It was called the... Uh, Master System? Uh, yeah. Or, uh, the Master System was the old one. The Sega Mega Drive was what okay, it was called. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he got one of those, and he was yeah he was really into so- into Sonic the Hedgehog and and also Streets of Rage. Oh yeah, that was a great game. Which is one of those like, yeah, fabulous games. One of those games where you just going through the escape, beating people up. Yep. You know, you're meant to be rescuing the girl at the end of the level. And, and I never the, liked that I about- couldn't go backwards. You can go backwards yeah. for like three inches, and then it would stop. Excuse me, it would stop. I yeah, always but wanted it was to one- go back. You still there? Oh, we lost David. You still there, David? 
Well, let's take a quick break and I'll uh, be right back with David. Let's talk Apple. We play all your favorite hits with no commercials. 24-7 music even the boss can enjoy. Okay. Host Bart Bouchotts doesn't play the hits or really any music. What he does do is give you the monthly wrap-up of what's going on in the Apple ecosphere, along with great guests with different opinions. You can get the news anywhere, but Let's Talk Apple will tell you what it means. Find it in iTunes, stoplightnetwork.com, or at lets-talk.ie domains. And uh, you guys heard a commercial, but uh, David and I literally stopped talking two seconds ago. So we're going to pick up right where we were, David. You were talking about yeah. your grandfather. About streets, st- yeah, and uh, well, no, it was my it was my uh, my girlfriend at the time, her father. Oh, okay, uh, gotcha. And yeah, and he would he 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 was like the games where you could play two player, so we could all play around the TV. Mm-hmm. So uh, Streets of Rage was good for that because you could have another player actually play at the same time. And then, you know, then it'd be a case of where do you decide to help each other uh, to try and get further on, or do you try and beat up on each other as well as the other guys to try and uh, see who gets the most points? You know, I, I got an email. I've been corresponding, I should say, with uh, NVIDIA. Uh-huh. And they're out right now, but they're hoping to get some more review units of the NVIDIA Shield. Uh-huh. That's the, uh, for those who don't know, it's an Android-based gaming platform but kind of with a twist it basically looks like a game controller in your hand with a screen attached to it and uh you know they want to know if i'm going to be interested in reviewing this in the near future and i said absolutely and uh, i am very interested in that but it seems like there's go ahead does it play regular android games or does it only play their games no it plays regular android the screen itself is a touch-based system um, but really, you want to play the games that are optimized for it because then you could use it as a standard controller. Uh-huh. Uh, I've seen the reviews; they looked impressive. But it's one of these systems that seem to make a big splash on, you know, The Verge and and Ars Technica and to a lesser degree Joystick. And then, you know, after the first couple of weeks, it's gone. You couldn't find anything about it. And that seems kind to be of, the. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. That's I know you're gonna say that seems to be the uh, yeah. It seems to be the way things go nowadays. Is yeah. that they get a lot of lot of hype and then disappear, often for reasons that don't get addressed in the hype, like the fact that this thing is three hundred dollars, which yeah. is kind of expensive. No, there's no kind of uh, about it. That's very expensive. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I talked to and I own one, but I talked a lot of smack about the PS Vita when I got it. That there just was a, a dearth of games. And that's still the case. I, I don't get it. It's been out over a year, and there's still not a that killer system-selling game for the PS Vita. But Sony, I think, potentially is doing a very smart thing, and they're really marrying that Vita with the PS4. And whether it works or not is you know yet to be determined, but I think that that's going to be very intelligent for Sony to marry their handheld gaming platform with their console you know mm-hmm. in a way that nobody's really done before i find that very interesting i'm, I'm really looking forward to see how that works and this, not just a second yeah, screen either no does is this the one that streams games off your pc as well yes right oh you're talking about the nvidia yeah it's supposed to yes but again i, I can't right. speak to that because i i don't know 
I don't know uh, how it's going to work. And of course, um, Steam is coming out next year with the Steam box. Mm. It seems like there's just a a whole lot of video game systems coming out. And I'm kind of curious like on what you think. We Look, on the home console, we've got the Xbox, which they're going to be releasing the Xbox One within a week or two, I think. Yeah. Uh, the PS4 now. But neither one of those systems are going to even touch Xbox 360 or PS3 sales because that's an installed base. So there's four game systems right there, right? Mm-hmm. Then you still have the Wii, which I know people are still buying some games for, but that's kind of fading out now. But the Wii U is there. It's not selling great, but it's selling enough. So there are six gaming platforms in your living room. Now we have the Ouya, a $99 Android-based device, which I have, which I actually like, but I haven't been playing it at all lately because, of course, I've been playing uh, uh, the Xbox 360. So now we're up to seven. Here's the shield that can stream stuff. So that's not real from your PC. So that's not in the living room, but it's the same. Some of them are the same games as you're going to get on the Ouya. So now you have eight gaming platforms. Uh, now you have Nintendo with the 3DS and the 2DS, but I'm only going to count that as one because yeah. they play the same games. Uh, the same games. Yeah. I saw some Christmas specials coming out, the Black Friday stuff. Uh, here in the United States, I'm seeing the Nintendo 2DS at $99 on sale. Mm-hmm. Tempting. Very I know. Tempting. I saw that. I was like, I kind of... And here's the thing. And Nintendo was really smart, I think. I've, I've heard a lot of podcasts where people are just... Why would they release this 2DS? It's so stupid. Blah, blah, blah. I thought it was smart. I thought it was brilliant. And at $99 and it plays all 3DS games, to it that's a no-brainer to me. Snatch it. I mean, yeah, there's some abs- really good games for the Nintendo 3DS. There really is. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting, actually. I'm just looking at some news here, and they're, and they're basically saying that the 2DS has really kick-started Nintendo portable sales. Yeah. Um, I mean, the price so point. It, people, people are like, oh, what's the difference? 179 129 What's the difference? There's a huge difference. Just well, the this mindset is the, alone. Yeah. The smart thing about it with the 2DS is that it's at that price point, and, and what you just said illustrates it. Same here in the UK. It's at that price point where it can be discounted to below 100 Yep, and that is the yeah. sweet spot. That's the point that, where it's a you know, as, soon as, as soon as you get down into two figures, I mean, that puts it in reach of you know kids saving their allowance or their pocket money or uh, you know, kind of a, a, a discretionary special gift for a birthday or Christmas or something like that, or even you know, just for, for kids who've got kind of like, you know, more well-heeled parents, kind of the, the sort of, well, you know, I'm proud of you at the moment, so here you go. Exactly. And, and, that, and, you know, but people won't spend over 100 on that. No. Uh, I mean, it, it is, it, it's like, like many things, it's pound for dollars here. So uh, while it's $99 in the, in the UK, it's coming under 100 pounds here. So it's more expensive in the, in the, U, in the UK or on the US. But, you know, um, I, I'm reading here that, that it dropped below 100 pounds in the UK for half term, which is, um, which, you know, the school break that we have a week school break in the middle of a, a semester here in the, in the UK. And uh, apparently it was a big spike in sales that week. Yeah, I'm not surprised at so, all. Uh, yeah, and I, I saw those uh, prices, I, and I just started drooling. I want one. 
Yeah. Well, I I saw an advert for on TV for Pokemon X and Y, which is the next big Pokemon game that's due for for the handhelds. Um, just the other day, and, and Nintendo being very smart here because they are advertising the 3DS and the 2DS in the same ad. They're basically saying, you know, the game will, they're emphasizing the game will run on both systems. Yep. Um, and they're putting the price points, all right, in small letters, but they're putting the price points up in the ads. And they, they're basically saying, uh, effectively putting a choice in front of kids and their parents as well, you choose which one you want. But the game will run on both. Yeah, that's amazing. And of course, that, that's you know that that's smart because what's going to happen is that uh, you know kids will say, "I want to play Pokemon." They'll take their parents to the toy store um, or the video game store, or whatever, and the parents will go, "Okay, so you've got the flat one at the cheaper price point, and you've got the folding one at the more expensive price point." It gets rid of all that 3D, 2D stuff, yep. <laughs> you know, which put a lot of people off. Um, and you know you. The point at that point, it's a smart move because once you get somebody in the store deciding between two products, they're probably going to buy one of those products. It's they've immediately moved the conversation on from shall I buy it or not into which one shall I buy. It's very very smart. It's the same thing that Apple has done with the iPads now. Yep, they've got the iPad well, Air and the iPad go Mini. Next, when yeah, so we're up to nine gaming platforms now with the Steam Box. Yeah. Uh, of course, add in PC gaming. There's 10. And then you have iOS gaming. And that's segmented as well from uh, the iPhone to the iPads. So now you're up to 11, 12, right? Around there somewhere. Yeah. So we basically have 12 gaming platforms. And I know some people say, well, what about the, like the Kindle Fire? and the Sure, but that's still Android. And we've already covered that. Whether yeah. it's on the Ouya or the Shield or Android gaming itself. I'm going to kind of lump them in together, even though they don't really belong together. Because they don't really look at the Ouya as an Android gaming platform. It's kind of its own no, thing. And really, it's kind of difficult, in some respects, kind of difficult to even see Android as its own platform because the vast majority of the software on Android is actually iOS ports. Yes. You know, they're, they're, effective, they're almost like common. Yeah, they're almost like common platforms in that the, you know there's not unique stuff. There's unique stuff on iOS, but there's not unique stuff on Android in the main. No. So that's a lot of gaming choice for people, and a lot of people looks look at the the early '80s, late '70s, early '80s. That's the the golden age of video games, and I'm, I totally agree. And then you have the late '80s, starting with Nintendo, through about 1999. Well. Let's say 1995. That's the second age of video games, where it kind of took it to the next level. It resurrected the entire industry. The handheld gaming market started becoming a thing with the Game Boy. Yeah. And then uh, around 95 through, I would say, the Xbox 360. That's the third generation. And the third generation was starting to get some connectivity, um, but taking it to a whole different level. And then you get into the Xbox 360 and, uh, what, the PS3. Yeah. And those, along with iOS, starts the fourth generation, where it's downloadable games. You don't have to go to a retail store. And we're still there. I don't see the Xbox One or 
the PS4 starting a fifth generation of video game. I think it's still the same one. I think it's still the same generational. Yeah. You don't have to go buy the disc. You can, but a lot of it is really focused on internet connectivity, multiplayer over the internet. I mean, that's where it's at. We're still at that point. I th- I think those those next generation consoles, you do have to see them in that aspect. It's effectively the bulk of the market for those devices are people who already have the old ones. Yes. I don't see... And, and, and let's face it, that console market, in the grand scheme of things such as computers or, or mobile phones or even iPads, even tablets, it's tiny. It is. You know, I mean, it's, it's what, 15, 20 million units per, per vendor? Yeah. After, after eight years of, of being on the shelf. Which is nothing. Um, I mean, the which iPhone is, which is, sells yeah, the iPhone sells that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, is so, Android, so, you know? Yeah, while, while the market for games at $50, $60 is very lucrative for those platforms, the actual numbers of users of those platforms is relatively tiny. Which means that they are fledgling; they can fade away. And one of the things I was going to say about what you've just laid out with those multiple um, multiple platforms is that to re- me, it very reminds very much reminds me of the early days of video games. Yeah, you know, before the first crash, when there was a lot of different platforms. There was Magnavox, there was uh, ColecoVision, there was Atari with two or three different consoles, there was Mattel. Um, there was, you know, they, they, there was lots and lots of choice, and each platform had its own. Each platform had its own um, proponents, but actually, the uh, the overall the overall market wasn't big enough to sustain everybody. And in fact, it was possible for the whole thing to implode. I don't think that would happen this time round because the market is broader in terms of what some of these things. It's do, worldwide too. Eat, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the the world is much more global than it was back then. Yep. Um, but nevertheless, you could lose half of those players without the actual market taking a blink whatsoever. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, if, I think if Nintendo yeah. went away today, it would be very, very sad. I would be extremely bummed out. But it wouldn't crash the entire industry. Same thing no. with Microsoft. Same thing with Sony. Same thing with Apple. Same thing with Android. Yeah. You could lose one or two of those, and the video game market would continue. Whereas back in the day, you lost Atari, and it's done. It's gone. Yeah, the whole thing collapsed. Yeah. That's right. They, it, they were the market. Nintendo I made think, it strong enough yeah. where when Sony collapsed, there were other players coming into it, like Microsoft, like Sony, who saw the potential, and that even though Sega failed in hardware... They could still see that, oh, well, they just made a lot of dumb mistakes, which they did. Which, let's not kid ourselves, so, uh, Sega made massive amounts of mistakes. They were releasing a new console on average like every two and a half years, and they weren't even compatible. It was it was just uh, a symphony of clowns. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a different thing now, though. I. And because yeah. the the devices that we're using to play video games, especially in the handheld market, are dual purpose, for the most part. You know, I yeah. don't the Shield, for instance. I know it plays movies. I don't know who would want to watch a movie on it, but whatever. But with your iPhone, it's it's a phone. 
It's a video game platform. It's a productivity. It's, it's you know. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a general purpose computer. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's that's the real difference. Is it is able of doing a lot of different things. I think that's this is the this is the concern for the console makers, uh, even for the handheld cons, console makers. Is their their platforms that they do one thing, and if the market decides they don't want to do that well, one thing with that anymore, then then they kind of suffer, and they could go the way of Sega. They could, um, but one I, of them I could. would take that by the, the flip side, though. Microsoft, with the Xbox One, is trying to make it a, a multi-purpose. It does everything in the living room, right? Sony mm-hmm. is not taking that approach. They're saying it's a video game system. And I'm always going to come down on the side of focus. Whatever you could do, do it the best you can absolutely do. Don't just hodgepodge a bunch of crap in there and add complexity because then it does all these things, but they it does them all, you know, not as well. Where, hey, how about we just concentrate on this? And I think that's, you know, long term, I think Sony's taking a better approach. This is a video game system, first and foremost. Yes, it does yeah. other things. You can stream Netflix and, you know, you can add the camera and do this, but. At its core, it's a video game system. Microsoft isn't doing that. I mean, if you look at all no. these these pre-release videos and um, them sitting down with journalists and going through it, they're saying, oh, look, you could stop your video game and you can watch live TV and then you could go over here and check your Twitter and blah, blah, blah. And It's like well, people are buying this because they want to play video games. Nobody is going to go I, out and buy yeah. the Xbox One because they can watch Twitter or, you know, look at their Twitter or watch live TV. Focus on th- the games. I think, yeah. I think the problem with the Xbox One approach is you can choose to do everything, but you have to do everything of everything. So that means if you're going to say, well, this is a general purpose under the TV box that does more than just play video games, to me, not only does the, the device got to be capable of playing live TV, playing video, streaming video, downloading video from the internet, doing pictures, Twitter, whatever it, whatever they decide they wanted to do. But you have to provide the back-end services really well that support that too. Otherwise, it just becomes... And you have to do all those things well. Because there are exactly. other devices that do all yeah. of those things separately, but does them extremely well. And, 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 and if I you think, look yeah, at Microsoft, I, th- I got to say, it seems like their whole philosophy going back maybe a year or two now that's what it is if you look at the surface david it's the same yeah. thing oh it's a touch computer yeah, but it's a regular computer but yeah. come on yeah. do one and, thing and, and do it really yeah. well if i always say if you can't if you can't um if you can't come up with the elevator pitch for it then it's probably a failure yeah and 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 the elevator pitch is for, for people who've not heard that term before is so you meet somebody influential in the elevator and you have something to sell. You have to, in the in the time of the elevator ride, which is normally about 15, 20 seconds, you have to be able to tell them what it is yeah. so they fully understand. If you can give them the elevator pitch about a product, then that means it does have focus. Mm-hmm. If you can't because you actually have too much to say, then that means it doesn't have focus. That's why I think and Apple and has I, succeeded with iOS absolutely. and macOS because the macOS is for desktops and portable laptops. But... The touch devices, the the tablets, the phones, has a different OS because it does different things. That's the way to do it. You, the Microsoft's yeah. hodgepodge 
And look, and I'll be the first to say, I want the Xbox three, uh, Xbox One to be successful because, like the PS4, I will eventually get one. No question about it. Not a hint in my <laughs> decision-making process. <laughs> you know? Um, I want it to be great. But I'm more worried about it being mediocre than I am the PS4. I am. I, I, my concern with both of the consoles at the moment is that they're aimed so much at the hardcore gaming market that, um, and we've talked about how small that is. They, I think they need to have greater appeal than that in order to be able to really succeed. They've got to grow. They've got to appeal to new new customers, and by making them a better version of what, just a slightly better version of what's come being, what's come before, or even a, a really better version than what's come before. Um, I'm not sure whether that has that general appeal. Yeah, is that you know, enough? if if yeah, if if the graphics are better, are more realistic, if the AI is is better because the things have better processing power, um, if the gaming experience is more immersive because of of all of those things, that doesn't jump off the page as somebody who's or or jump off the screens as somebody who's not familiar with what it was like before. I like Sony's advertising for the PS4. I think that it's pretty cool. But it's exactly the same type of advertising they did with the PS2 and the PS3. Yeah. And it doesn't appeal to anybody outside the, the hardcore gamer. I think you're absolutely right, David. Yeah. But is that is that about the games? Do they just need to make more well, broadly appealing it's games? A, it's a combination of the two because... Video game console systems have always been about the combination of the hardware and the software. Yeah, and you can't you can't do one without the other. But I think the the video game industry has become becoming a little bit like the movie industry in that it's full of corporate suits who don't want to take a lot of risk. They just want to rehash what they've done before, which they know is successful. And the problem is, is every time you do that, you're refocusing the appeal on the harder and harder core. You look at Call of Duty. Yeah, very broad appeal um, to a lot of t- to a certain type of gamer, and every game they've done has gotten better and better and better. And each time they improve the single player experience, they make changes to the, the multiplayer experience. But it only appeals to people who who bought it before. There's nothing new there. There's nothing that's going to make somebody who who maybe has never picked up a military shooter before to go. Maybe I'm going to go and try that. So it narrows it down, and we see this in the movie industry. Yeah. They they do they do they they find it they find a, a movie that's successful then they turn it into a franchise and each time they appeal more to the fans of the franchise and actually that focuses it on the harder harder core fans until you get to you get to the you know the sixth Twilight movie and it's only the only the absolute people who who are really really into it who aren't sick of it by that point and keep going to see it yeah. it's exactly the same with the movie with the, with the video games and instead what they need to be doing is they need to be doing broader stuff they need to be appealing more to families and to um, you know the uh, the different the different uh, metrics of people that are out there beyond the stereotypical 18 to 35 hardcore gamer which is i I think think, where these systems are aimed i think that both the video game market uh the people who run that industry as well as the movie industry what they really need to do is look at television for a long long time there was three networks and then four in the united states and the and the cable companies uh the cable channels i should say were kind of the the you know 
the forgotten we'll we'll throw our dreck up there and the repeat movies and all that they started doing original programming and what does everybody talk about now when it comes to television and everyone's saying this is a complete new golden age of television at least here in the united states and i know very similar things are happening worldwide yeah getting shows like the walking dead which could never be on a a network channel never and then you're getting um Breaking Bad, which was a phenomenon. So you're getting all these new content, Mad Men, um, that people really, really like. And it's different. And you could trace that back, you know, to really one network. The USA Network is the one that kind of started that revolution. Yeah. And uh, and, and FX. FX was there, too, with The Shield and with... A show called Monk on USA, yeah, which yeah, was basically Columbo. I mean, mm-hmm. it was Columbo. Yeah, but you know, it, it was and, different and then, than what you know, we were getting on regular TV, and, and people started and then paying H- attention. Yeah, that's right. And then Diversity. HBO came in. Yeah, HBO came in and started doing programming that was written by movie people, yep. that starred movie people, uh, and eventually you look at stuff like Six Feet Under and Sopranos and things like that, and those. That those were prototypes for the style we have now, which these big budget shows where they are effectively each season is a movie. Mm-hmm. It's a fifteen-hour movie or a twenty-five-hour movie. But at the That's same token, are. Though, there are it, look, and those are like I said, those are groundbreaking, and they're really. But I don't see the network stations or the network networks doing anything like this. No, well, they they don't want to do that because they're they're, they're looking at well, they're too, not only they're too scared, they're they're too constrained by their model. They 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 don't want to show consecutive episodes week after week after week. No, they because still they think want to that move the them around the way they yeah. have always traditionally yeah, right. been, and they're so, not. So they want to have a break for sweeps week, yep. where they uh, you know show where they where they don't show something, and then they show something you know which they've trailed, they've hyped the heck out of to try and bring viewers in just for Sweeps Week to boost the advertising ratings. They don't want to necessarily, they want to be able to swap shows around, replay shows halfway through their run, move them to different nights, um, make sure that the shows are individually packaged so that when they get syndicated, they can be shown out of order if that's what the syndicator wants to do. So that's why you end up with these very neat 42 minute, you know, everything's fixed by the end of the episode type thing with relatively little continuity between one episode to another. It's not as bad as it used to be because they are being influenced by those other and shows. Some of them are good. I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know we both enjoy that, yeah. but it is very network television. Yeah, yeah it's very Monster of the Week. Yep. Uh, you know, it's here's the problem. Uh, in the first act, they're presented with the problem. In the second act, it looks like they can't fix the problem. In the third act, they find a way to fix the problem. Right. It's very structured that way. And yes, there is a an overarching continuity behind it that's there, to particularly to appeal to fans of the movies. Um, and yes, at least they are being clever by they are weaving in continuity from the movies. And, and I think they're going to increase that. They're already talking about starting to do some crossover stuff with some of their minor movies and things like that as well, which is fine. But the point is, you're absolutely right. It is very formulaic network television. Yeah. It's not the stuff you see on the cable channels. It's not the stuff that you see here in the BB- here in the BBC and some of the ITV dramas over here, where it's six, eight episodes written by one person with a, a narrative that goes through all episodes. And you know what? If you don't watch all of them, you're going to have to catch up. 
and and the the problem is is that is that if the video game industry does not start to adopt that where they rather than they they put all the budget into the one big hit kind of the sweep sweep approach you know they spend 50, 50 million dollars on making one big call of duty game that then has to sell gangbusters in order to make its money back particularly yeah. with production and what have you if they don't do that and you know, they don't break away from these big 60 70 80 strong teams developing these games and go back to the cheaper model where the creative freedom is there you can do what you want you're not um dictated to by the like by the video game manufacturer you would be you effectively you're treated like an independent developer with a low cost of entry and a low cost of publication those consoles are going to die and, and so and are the studios sorry. because yeah. you spend that yeah. much money to to make the next call of duty with the 80 man team and it's a flop it's over it's done you're not moving well, um, on past that you're letting people go we're already seeing that. We're yeah. even seeing situations where games, which by any standard are fairly successful, as soon as the game is launched, the studio is terminated. Yeah, absolutely. Because they won't—they're not prepared to fund it. It's not big enough, you know. And and you just end up with this formulaic approach. And I, it annoys me, particularly with Microsoft. I don't know what it's like on the on the Sony side. With Microsoft, they have everything they need to get around this problem. They have an independent way of of. of uh, low low cost developers publishing games for their platform. They have an independent game system, but it's very expensive to get into. It's very hard to get your games published. Microsoft are apparently a nightmare to deal with. So instead of being like the uh, iOS or the Android App Store model, where in, you know whatever the pains are, they're relatively minor. It's incredibly difficult. I mean, people aren't going to do it, so that you're not going to get any creativity. Some great games in the in- independent Xbox Store if you go and look at them. But yeah, um, you got to find them. They're first. not even. You've got to find them. Not even promoted on the console. Yeah, I think we're on the same page there, David. Yeah. I, I like I said, I will eventually get a PS4. I'm very interested. Excuse me. I'm very interested, but not right now. And that's their failing. That's not my failing. That's their failing. Yeah. Give me a reason to buy the game. They haven't done, or the system. They haven't done that yet. Look, and I said this a week or two ago as well. Rockstar didn't help them by releasing Grand Theft Auto Five mere so weeks before <laughs> yeah. a new console. That oh, uh, if they would have re- if they would have held out GTA Five and and it was Xbox One and PS4 exclusives, Sony Microsoft would have been very happy. Now the fans would have rioted. <laughs> well, not only that, the, the game publisher could never afford to do that because no, they need the volume of sales. Not. Absolutely. <laughs> they, they, do. they spent 75, 80 million developing that game. Yep. And, you know, you know, so in two need... and a half years, you'll see GTA 6 for the new Absolutely. systems, and it will look incredible, and everyone will be talking about how great it is, and I have no doubt about that. But a company like Rockstar, though, if it was smaller games... Yeah, but see, there's my problem, David. It's so good. I don't want it to be smaller. I want it to be bigger and more expansive. Yeah, but the problem is if you take that mechanic, uh, the kind of the st- the sandbox style of game that you have there in Grand Theft also, but you did it in a different way. It wasn't about crime. It was about something else. You could probably make something that was just as compelling and maybe slightly different, maybe appealing to a wider audience. Yeah. Um, but that'll never happen because if if anybody within Rockstar took that to their management and said, "Well, I want to game make a game where it's like GTA, but it's set in space. We, we want to make a combination, say, of um, Grand Theft Auto 
and uh, Wing Commander. So the idea is is that you're walking around your ship and you're involved in operating your ship and you're in the middle of a big war, but at any time your character can go and get into the cockpit of a fighter and go out and it's like playing Wing Commander. And what you do out in space affects what happens. That I'm already excited about this concept. I just pulled it out my <laughs> my butt. I'm already thinking this would be a great game. Yeah, that would be all cool. the stuff, all the all the great stuff that you saw, say, in the Battlestar Galactica TV series, but playable as a game. Yeah, that would be so. When awesome. you're on the ship, you're trying to find the Cylons. You might be hiding uh, among the ship. You're trying to solve. You're trying to protect the ship. You're trying to undo sabotage. You might have a rebellion going on. You're trying to deal with all of that as well. And then at the same time, you're a pilot. And you have to go out. You have to fight the enemy. You have to protect. You have to do all of that stuff. You might. Have to, take, have to take teams of marines into a um, combat situation, then land on another ship and repel borders or stuff like that. And let smaller that developers be... create, you know, plug-in content for it. Exactly. Curated, of course, would... but oh my God, how yeah. great would that be? That would, that would be amazing. But yeah. you know what? If they took that and they said, well, I need an 80-man team to develop this, this new untested property... Or we can do GTA Six. Right. What do you think the studio is going to sure. fund? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So all the, the only place that's ever going to happen like is in the, television. Gonna... Like in television, yeah. it's all the smaller cable operator channels. They're doing all the innovative stuff. They're taking the risks. In the video game market, it's it's iOS game developers and Android game developers. Although not really, it's still iOS. Uh, they're the ones taking all the risks and coming up with new ideas. And you see, for a small fraction of developers but you see it's being very very successful and it's changing well, things and we need the same thing you, on the next yeah. generation of home platform games here's the problem for ps4 and xbox one yeah ios you think, on your tv yeah do you think yeah exactly and the thing is do you think that any of the big game publishers ea or any of the others would have ever published angry birds no. on the xbox no. PS3. No. Nope. And yet, look how phenomenally successful that series yep. of games has been. Yep. Yeah. No and, and spun out into merchandising and everything else. And there's four or five other different brands in, in iOS that, that probably have the same sort of traction. Sure. And, you know, and, uh, and, and it, would, it never would have happened on those big consoles. That's the problem they face. That's right. And, I mean, and, there's and a lot of games Rhapsody. also that's developed in Flash and, and other technologies that are, win yeah. or, you know, internet base that then come to ios and that's where they hit it big doesn't really matter where they start the the point is no. they're taking chances because the cost of entry is next to nothing exactly and the and cost of entry no... on these consoles are not next to nothing unless no. microsoft and sony and nintendo let's not leave nintendo out of this unless they no. really start changing their ways they're gonna get left in the dust absolutely and you're absolutely right that um Look! Look at the the power of the new iOS devices. They they've they've doubled in power in twelve months. You know, one yeah. of the things that I haven't done that I just did last week, David, was you know you have that um, ability now to put your screen up on uh, your Apple yeah. TV to you. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was just in games. I kind of thought it was otherwise too, but I never really messed with it. It's your entire screen, yeah. even your home oh, screen. Yeah. I I. I I, I I just did that for the first time last week and it was eye opening. Uh, it, absolutely, I, it, it I, I did the think, same thing for my iPhone. Yeah, there's a lag there. You know, you can't really play games. It's just eh, it's not there yet. 
but you put a device like the Apple TV that has the same operating system and has the games already there, it's it changes everything, man. And Absolutely. I don't think Microsoft is scared of Sony. I don't think Nintendo is scared of Microsoft. I don't think Sony is scared of Nintendo. They're all in the same boat. And if that was their only competition, they know what to do there. And they all can be moderately successful. They're all scared to death of Apple. That oh. is their worst nightmare. That Apple gets it right in the living room with the device that can play all the iOS games on your TV. And, and I think it's coming. Apple's already signaling us. Oh, they, yeah, it's put, definitely coming. They've put the controller support in the iOS 7, yep. and I think they're going to spend the next year beefing that up, developing it, see what comes out of that. And you know what? If a standard emerges out of that, a, a good controller emerges, whether it be from Apple or somebody else, yeah, then they, they'll fix the lag problem with the Apple yep. TV. It's only you a matter know, of time. Nintendo they'll either be do the it. first to fall, honestly, because they're already pretty yeah. weak in the home... Uh, in the home gaming market, they're still strong portable, don't get me wrong. But they're not as strong as most people think they are because the iPhone's already eaten their lunch there and the iPad. Yeah. But they'll be the first to fall, and then it'll be Sony. Microsoft will be the last one. But unless they start doing some radically different things, like we've talked about on this show, and David and I are uh, open to consultation, by the way. Um <laughs> They have to diversify their offerings immediately, and they have to open it up to new ideas. They have to get a lot smarter in their marketing. If they don't do all of those things, Apple's going to come in and destroy all of them because they already have yep. everything in place as far as the content and the freedom of developers and the distribution and the cost all they have to do is get into that living room. That's the next step. And once they do that and it's done well, Microsoft is in a lot of trouble. Sony is in a lot of trouble and it will kill Nintendo. Yep. And it's unfortunate because yeah. I actually want all three of those companies to succeed for my own well, we, selfish we, reasons. Yeah. We we love all three of those companies. We've used all of their products. You know, I had I've had a PlayStation Portable before, so I have one somewhere. Don't play it very much anymore. I have a PSP. Uh, well, we have a Wii at home. Um, I have my Xbox. You know, but here's the thing: I look at Xbox One, and I say that well, you know, for me, who's somebody who doesn't play games that often, but I enjoy it when I do. But there's there's nothing in there, nothing in the Xbox One that can, that makes me think I need to sell what I have and upgrade to the new system. Well, that's my problem. I don't sell what I have. I just get the new one too. But it, but even but even if it, even if I was the same way, I said, well, just the new one too. There's nothing there that compels me to Not do yet. that. Not yet. And oh. unless they do something hot right off the bat, a, a, a yeah. killer Halo game, maybe I don't know. Yeah, but Infamous. I tell you, I play I play games on my iPad Mini and play games on my um, iPhone Five. And I'm like, I, with the level of, um, with the level of graphic quality and gameplay I get on those games now, the only thing I'm missing is the controller. If I have a controller like an Xbox controller for my games on my iOS devices, I will probably get rid of the Xbox yeah. because I just won't need it. You know, you know, I, I know I some people are saying, yeah, but it's about it. the games, and there's nothing on iOS that could compare to what Nintendo's for, like Legend of Zelda. I mean, that's so grumpy. Well, oh, excuse you know, me, a game you know just what? came out called Oceanhorn that is yeah, just getting exactly. all kinds of praise. 
Exactly. And it's like eight ninety nine. I haven't bought it yet, so I can't say anything more about it than that. But it looks damn impressive. It looks damn exactly. impressive. So, yeah, it's uh, hmm. Yeah, I th- I think Nintendo will be the first to fall. I really do. They're too we'll insular. See. I think I think this this holiday season is going to be fairly telling. No, Anybody I don't think this one will. Of, I think next one will. Well, I, I think I think if we see weakness this this year this holiday season, that might be the uh, first signs of cracking. Well, I know that the uh, yeah. the Wii U is just not selling. And don't get me wrong, I'm not rooting for anybody to fail here. I have a Wii U. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> I've got every single Nintendo console. I love Nintendo games, but. As a realist, I look at what's going on in the market. Their support for third-party developers has always been crap. And that's what sells your your platforms. That's what's allowed Microsoft and Sony to do so well with those gaming platforms. Yeah. yeah, I know know we need to wind up now, but um, let me just finish this off with with one little anecdote that I think uh, illustrates the, the, the point. My son asked me the other day whether the iOS platform, uh, the iOS portal for the um, Skylanders games, you know we've had him on the show before where he's talked about those games, yeah? Whether that iOS portal supports the new Swap Force game that's come out um, for all the consoles. So this is the the game where you put the little figures on the portal and then they appear in the game you can play them. Now, Skylanders is already out on iOS and they do a little Bluetooth portal that takes the same characters you use with the Wii, which is where he normally plays at. Now, we haven't bought him Skylander Swap Force, because basically we're in a point now where he's had two of these games, he has a whole host of these figures. As far as we're concerned, he has enough to keep him going on with without yeah, investing sure. in a new game and all that sort of thing. But guess what? The portal for the iOS device is really cheap. It's about £15. And I found out it does support Swap Force characters. So he's already in a position where he's thinking independently without consulting me and without knowing the industry and browsing the internet or anything. He's already thinking, hey, you know what? I could play this on my iPad all the time and I wouldn't be on the TV and I wouldn't be getting the pressure from mum and dad about being on the TV with this game with all these figures around and everything. He's already thinking independently of me. And that's why he asked me the question. I could play the new game on my iPad and I wouldn't need to play it on the Wii anymore. Scary thoughts what, for Sony, what, Microsoft, That's what they need and, to worry uh, about, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. Well, David, I will uh, talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. And uh, for all those out there, if you want to contact us, go to techfanpodcast.com. There's a contact us form there, or you can send an email to either Tim or David at techfanpodcast.com. So it would be Tim at techfan and then David at techfanpodcast. Um we love to hear from you guys. Send us a, an email. If you're up on the iTunes store, make sure you review us and write something about the show right there on the show page on iTunes. That'll help our uh, rankings. We'd appreciate that. But in the meantime, go out there and play some video games. Have some fun. <laughs>